Hey there, my name is Chris Trinetti, and I am the host of Open-Minded Chris, which is the first ever podcast and in-person meetup hybrid. The OMC podcasts feature insights and recaps from our weekly in-person gatherings, as well as some of my personal insights based on what I'm working on, reading, listening to, or thinking about. Twice a month, our community gets together for discos, which are in-person conversations exploring curiosities, ideas, relationships, and anything else on our minds usually fueled by some form of caffeine and or alcohol. Discos are held all throughout Chicago in different neighborhoods at cafes, bars, and co-working spaces with our tight-knit community of, as the name suggests, open-minded individuals. Today's episode is part one of a two-part special episode series on instincts and purpose. Part one covers our gut instincts, our intuitions, our heart, and anything else that we use to describe the unique voices within us that help point us in the right direction in our lives. I've personally been thinking about this a lot, specifically the battle between our gut and our mind and how that impacts our ability to find our purpose, which you will hear about in the next episode. In this one, we cover everything from personal escapes, egg preferences, book recommendations, leadership theories, and personal stories. So with that, I bring you episode number four. Hope you enjoy. live. Wow, it feels good to be back. I have taken a little hiatus from the mic. And part of it is priorities coming in the way. I just had some other things that I needed to devote my attention to. And this takes several hours. I'm still not efficient with it yet. A little bit of is a little bit of it is related to other priorities. A little bit of it is related to uh, per episode two, the ancient masons, those motherfuckers just building their wall every time I want to do something. Uh, yeah, but it's just, <clears throat> it's been a while. I'm, I'm two episodes behind, which is why we are kicking off a two-part episode series on instincts and purpose. And the two are very related, if you think about it. And if you don't think they're related, I'd love to hear why. But Hopefully, we tie it all together. And by we, I mean me. And yeah, that's it. So uh, some other housekeeping notes. My apartment is decked. I don't really I have a small hall, but there's actually no Christmas lights there. No, my place is a, a freaking winter wonderland. I've got twinkles, or maybe they're called icicles. Icicle, twinkling icicles above my window that overlooks the street then i've got my colored lights around my bathroom door my closet door in my in my room i even wrapped my the top of my fridge um what else? i bought a four and a half inch poinsettia which i mean four and a half that was actually five or no it was four bucks for a four and a half inch poinsettia at mariano's highly highly recommend you make your way over there very nice people over there as well. Oh, and I've got mini stockings, which are 
I don't... <laughs> magnetized? No, I'm using magnets to hang them up to my... Uh, the base of my TV stand is metal. Magneted. That's not a word. Um, what else is new? It's December. Pretty crazy that 2019 is about to be here. And there is some background noise, as always. I feel like I'm always mentioning that, but there's construction going on next door. They're building an apartment complex. And there's construction going on at my co-working space. So there's really... And they're all for apartments, so there's really no good spots to record this, or I just haven't found them yet. And speaking of apartment complexes, I just read that there have been 15,000 apartments built in Chicago in the past five years, which is crazy. And it feels almost haphazard. It's like, hey, let's just put an apartment here. It's what everyone else seems to be doing. It's baffling how... Much construction is going on in the city, but it also doesn't feel uh, exclusive to Chicago. When I go back to Cleveland, there's a shit ton of stuff going on over there, and it seems the same, whether it's Cleveland, Columbus, Detroit. Uh, a lot of the, the, much of the Midwest has been experiencing a lot of development and, and progress, which is great to see. I just hope it's all thought through uh, and, and that the urban urban planners are doing their part to make sure we're not just building to build and we're being conscious about what we are creating. All right, well, let's get into it. Just know, I want you to know that this podcast is inspired and sponsored by the North Pole because my place is so festive right now. I'm just it's just making everything better. And I've got a I've got a candle lit. You know, it's a the festive it's probably like holly and apples i don't really know it was on sale but it is believe believe you me it is festive is that it oh and just to put the uh the what are toppings in, in christmas the the holiday f sprinkles on top there's got to be a better one the garnish what's like like a christmas garnish I don't know. I need to cook more. Um, my fridge is empty. I only have butter, hot sauce, and that's it in my fridge. <laughs> and Hershey Kisses. Oh, yeah. I bought a holiday bowl. I bought a holiday bowl from TJ Maxx and filled it with the holiday Hershey Kisses and put it on the coffee table because, of course, you're going to do that in December. Ironically, though, I have very few guests, and I am the only one. This is a fact. Even though my girlfriend has been over to my place, I've been the only one to eat a Hershey Kiss, which, looking at the bowl, I've eaten probably 30 to 40. It's a large bag. Bought a two-pound bag. You know, it's had a hell of a deal at Walgreens. Also, and then, you know, we'll get into it in a bit here, but... Is Walgreens and CVS the only place to buy Christmas lights, aside from Amazon? Because I went to TJ Maxx, I went to a bunch of other places, and you couldn't buy Christmas lights. So you were left with, or I was left with a very shitty selection at Walgreens, which is kind of bullshit. Because I wanted, and maybe they just don't have these, but I wanted colored lights with white strings, or... My light terminology is, is extremely lacking. 
I've got these green lights hanging in my place. You know, it's multicolored lights, but with the green strand, maybe is a better word. And it just, you know, it doesn't look great. It could be better. The white twinkles look much better. But it does the job. We needed we needed the multicolored in here. That's the main that's the main event, really. I mean the twinkles are just a, a classic. Okay, enough about Christmas. If you know me, you know this is the best month of the year. Hands down. No questions about it. Everyone is happy relatively. You know, we might still be stressed with work or with finances and, and shopping and fitting everything in before the holiday and, and New Year's Eve plans, but it is magical. And it is a beautiful time to just love people for a month when traditionally you don't. I feel like I say thank you to people more and I um, you know, wish them good tidings more. <laughs> tidings. I'm going to start saying that. I do to my girlfriend, but it's... Uh, it's more to just annoy her, but I feel like, you know, this time, <laughs> there's no better month than now to just wish good tidings, but it's just so nice, and then every, the whole city, no matter where you go, there's beautiful, large, you know, extravagantly and eccentrically decorated trees, there's ice skating and, and Christmas markets and hot chocolate and hot cider with whiskey in it is even better and what else do we got going you've got pop-up christmas bars you've you've got restaurants if you live in my neighborhood in lakeview east go to wild they have one of the best holiday decorations inside it's just a beautiful ambiance oh man my my christmas cheer meter is just bursting at the seams and with that Let's let's get into it. Let's get let's get involved. All right. So we had <laughs> this is the all right. So this is episode four, which means that this is this was the second. This is, was this the only second? Was this the second disco? No. Yeah, I think it was. All right. So this was the second disco. Because now we'll be on our fourth disco this week. Actually, tomorrow. All right, so for the second disco, some observations, just having our first one and then now the second one. Um, <clears throat> it was a smaller group. Our first one, we had eight people, which was the max amount I ever want. And what I learned from having a group of six people is that there's actually a lot of benefits to it. I, I personally enjoyed it more. I think everyone I think everyone got more out of it because you're little you're allowed to go a little bit deeper than you are with eight people because with eight people you are you know consciously and subconsciously recognizing that there's more people in the room you need to kind of spread the wealth which takes more time to do so it's a little harder to speak up in an eight person group because you know someone at least one or two people are always trying to get that next word in with six people you're more present uh you can pick up on each other's little cues that you give out in interpersonal communication of, I know this person wants to speak because I'm in a very close area with them. Uh, so anyway, it was, I, I personally liked it more. We had one, one discord who spoke for about maybe 15 minutes. 
but it was great and i think that that was needed to to get his point across uh, another thing that i or i touched on in the in the third disco which will be episode number five is that we don't have to exclusively stick to this topic and there was a few people who just were under the impression that okay this is the topic we can't stray too far from it whereas in the first disco it went everywhere we started at point a and ended up at point z by the end of it and it took many different twists and turns so future reference i'm, I'm always just going to clarify that hey the beauty of this is that it's going to go in unexpected ways and and travel to realms that we didn't anticipate so that was just an interesting little observation and then though this doesn't necessarily matter that much we had a couple phd grads so it was a much more intellectual conversation there they were uh, just in in the in the literal sense there were references of uh, Skinner's experiments with rats and and what we can infer about behavior and, and habits and uh, there were more book references they brought it someone brought up Chomsky which Noam Chomsky the goat of linguistics so one of the PhD students was a linguistics grad uh, which is really fascinating my first question to him was what what is linguistics exactly because I, I don't you know you hear that word and you think you know what it means language but it's so much more complex than that especially if you think about how our language and communication is being challenged or or uh, enhanced or supplemented today there's a lot of implications for for linguistics so that was pretty interesting as you know we start out with two intro questions the first was what's your escape when shit is hitting the fan when you're stressed when you're depressed when you're mad Whatever it is, what is your escape? And there were some great answers. I, I feel like most people would uh, would side with at least one of these. But uh, the, they're kind of like three buckets. Uh, the first is physical exercise. So someone said, or, you know, intramural sports. Uh, another person said running or working out. And then the other escape that we found was a creative escape. So reading, writing, or even watching Netflix, which Netflix, I mean, there's a lot of, obviously there's every genre on there and documentaries we can learn, but even something like like Black Mirror is a very creative uh, way to spend your time because it just, I know for me, when I've watched that show, I've, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't able to sleep for one, but when you're walking around the street and going about your life, there's little things that pop up that the, the, whatever you're watching, it, it makes you, there's things that are working behind the scenes that will add to your life, add to your unique experience. So I've just given everyone a way to feel better about watching Netflix. Oh, and then the other one was, uh, the other bucket is kind of just like a... <laughs> A physical escape so sleeping or someone said that uh, they just go into a closet which I don't know how serious they were they they said that that was their approach as a kid if they're still doing that as an adult I have mad respect for that because I don't have any room room in my closets but uh, that my, my parents house they have a huge closet in, in one of the 
in like one of our bedrooms and I'm definitely just laid on the floor in there. Like my siblings are annoying me. I'll just go upstairs and lay on the floor. So I get it. But I'd need more of a comfortable closet. Mine would be <clears throat> be like sitting on shoes. All right. So then the, the other intro question was kind of, I was building off of last week's, which was a hit. What's your favorite cereal? And I said, how do you like your eggs? This one wasn't as good because you just kind of, we covered all of the, the egg <laughs> the egg uh, skews. We had sunny side up, which was mine, which I mean, sunny side up and over easy are clear front runners. Scrambled, I'll give it to you. But then people said over hard and over medium, which I guess if you really like the taste of hard boiled eggs that much, that's one thing. But why would you want, you know, if you want your yolk hard, might as well just scramble them up. Anyway, to each their own, I suppose. And then after our two intro questions, we of course got to the main event, the meat and potatoes. And this topic was crowdsourced from our previous disco. I asked everyone to write down some suggested topics for future discos. And the topic that we chose was following your instincts in your gut. And by we, I mean I chose it. And I chose it because I've personally been thinking about this a lot. There's a lot of things. I know it's important to, to listen to our gut and, and our heart and, and follow our instincts. And it's funny, all of those ways of describing this kind of this, this visceral voice that we, we need to get in tune with and find in our day-to-day lives. But for me personally, and I think the sentiment was shared with the group, is that there are a lot of things impacting this, and it's increasingly so in our, in our modern world. So on one hand, you want to follow your instincts, right? And that's what makes us human and animals is that we have instincts. But on the other hand, we have advice. We have mentors. We have friends. We have books and articles we, we read. We have money and cultural norms impacting our decisions, we have social media, which creates a lens and a, a picture of what everyone else is doing. That whether we recognize these things or not, they are impacting our ability to listen to our, our, our gut and, and follow our instincts. And I think, you know, step one is, is being able to, to kind of put all of those out there and say, all right, well, I'm hearing this advice from my parents. I'm hearing this you know, feedback from my friends and seeing what they're doing. But these books and articles are telling me this. But also, there's kind of you know, there's a lot of money over here, and not so much over here. Uh, but then social media, I'm, I'm seeing what everyone else is doing, and blah blah blah. So our instincts are getting more difficult to follow. Yet, like our perception, it is the beautiful thing about us, and it is what makes us truly unique. Not just as humans, because obviously animals have instincts that are more tailored to survival, but it makes us unique and as individuals. And if you think about my black mirror example before, or, or just anything that you read or watch that's kind of, it's contributing to the, you know, it's, it's helping to develop pathways in our brain and those pathways are unique to us. So I always like to think, and this is kind of my um, admittedly poor meditator at my, <laughs> 
currently today. I do a few times a week. I'd like to get better at that. But what makes me, my almost my meditative practice is you know, obviously the, the point of meditation is to be present and mindful and clear head and, and to, to get in touch with, with something that's a little deeper that is hard in our day-to-day life by our thoughts. But my meditative practice is when I walk around and I look at a billboard, I say that I am the only person in the entire world in the history of humankind who grew up the way I did, have the friends that I do, have the experiences, experiences that I have had. I'm the only one walking down this exact street at this exact moment with this unique combination of everything that is looking at this billboard and taking in that information, whatever it is. And that's going to, con- that's going to contribute to the overall unique mixture that is me. And everyone has that. Everyone has where you work, where you live, where you, you're just, you are a product of how you grew up, your genetics and how you've, what you've taken in, who you've surrounded yourself with, what opportunities you've explored, what passions or hobbies you have, what you watch, what you read. And that's beautiful to think about. And it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think that our instincts you know, we have these two opposing forces. We have our gut, our instincts, and then we have our mind and, and our experiences and what we fill that mind with. And the two butt heads often, but they can also work together. And if and when we are able to listen to our gut, there's also a, another, and this might be a, a cousin of the mind or the child of the mind, but there's a third element that, that makes it more difficult, and that's fear. Because fear comes in and stops us from confronting our instincts. Because our instincts aren't always, they're not always uh, checking the boxes. You know, for example, if your gut is telling you to take this job opportunity versus this one, but opportunity A, which your gut is telling you to take, is a... Uh, <clears throat> It's a more junior level position, it's a salary decrease, but it's, it's what you're really passionate about and what you want to do. So the fear is that you're going to fall behind, you're not going to be financially stable, it's, you have all these things running through your head, but your instincts, your gut is saying, no, this is what you want, this is, hey, like, listen to me, I'm trying to tell you what I need and what I want. So I think that as a, as a species, we've probably never been more out of tune with our instincts. And personally, this is, this is related to me starting Open-Minded Chris. I, I, my gut was telling me to, to create something like this, and I wanted to for several reasons, but it, I don't know. It just I've always had the urge to. But my mind, the fear of, of all of the things that one would fear about starting a podcast, uh, starting a meetup group, no one's going to show up. No one's going to listen. No one's going to care. People are going to think I, uh, I'm i going to say something that just screws me over and and people call me out, whatever. You know, you, you see it happen with celebrities and with with thought leaders or, you know, they just get, there's contention. There's people pushing back on them. Um, but I, I was able to get to the bottom of where that fear is coming from and realize that the, most of those results I don't really care about, and they're probably irrational. 
I've, I've experienced only positive things from this and uh, it's, it's kind of a, a healthy confirmation that your gut is usually right. But alas, our brains are not helping us out with this. So I'm going to start off the, the discussion or, or the recap of the discussion with, with a book recommendation. So book rec alert, Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking by Malcolm Gladwell. So someone brought this up. Uh, this book up as it relates to instincts. And, and if you don't know who Malcolm Gladwell is, he uh, he's, he's one of my favorite authors. He wrote The Tipping Point, Outliers, David, David and Goliath, uh, among many others. But the book opens up with a story. And I pulled up a New York Times article that, that, that uh, nicely summarizes the, the intro. So Blink opens up with the story of Kyros, an ancient Greek statue of a youth that came. And I'm I'm reading this verbatim. I don't I don't think uh, I'm gonna my podcast is in a position to have the New York Times coming after me, but I am quoting all of this, these couple paragraphs. So uh, it opens up with the story of Kyros, the ancient Greek statue of a youth that came on the art market and was about to be purchased by the Getty Museum in California. It was a magnificently preserved work close to seven feet tall, and the asking price was just under a cool 10 mil. The Getty did all the normal background checks to establish the authenticity of the piece. A geologist determined that the marble came from the ancient Cape Vafi quarry on the island of Thassos. It was also covered with a thin layer of calcite, a substance that accumulates on statues over hundreds or perhaps thousands of years. And after 14 months of investigation, the Getty staff concluded that the thing was genuine and went ahead with the purchase. But an art historian named Federico Zeri was taken to see the statue, and in an instant, he decided it was fake. Another art historian took a glimpse and sensed that while it had the form of a proper classical statue, it somehow lacked the spirit. A third felt a wave of intuitive repulsion when he first laid eyes on it. Further investigations were made, and finally the whole scheme unraveled. It transpired that the statue had been sculptured uh, sculptured by forgers in Rome in the early 1980s. The team of analysts who did 14 months of research turned out to be wrong. The historians who relied on their initial hunches were right. And that is pretty fucking awesome. That you can have professionals, a team of professionals, analyzing it with the latest technology that museums and art historians use to to verify authenticity especially for things that are selling for tens of millions of dollars and them conclude it to be authentic but then you have people come in and look at it and it's fake and and the main premise of the book is that all of us have the ability to uh, as as Malcolm calls it, as he relates to intuition, thin slice, which is the behind-the-scenes processes that help guide our lives through our subconscious by allowing us, similarly to computers, to sift through massive amounts of data and make sense from this data based on our own internal algorithms and, and, and eventually pick out the important parts and come to rapid conclusions in roughly two seconds. And I'm just... Pausing on that because 
it, it gets back to what I was saying about the uniqueness of us and all that we're seeing and intaking and who we're talking to and doing is that those are those are what is creating our internal algorithms. And we use this process not only to, you know, I, I don't have the the internal algorithms to look at a piece of art and determine if it's fake or real. Maybe I do. I don't know. I've never been. Uh, maybe we all do. Maybe that's just something you can sense and feel. But we use this process in, in almost every aspect of our lives. In our romantic lives, you know, on a first date, you can tell how you feel about them. In our professional lives, when you meet someone new or you, you, know, you come across a new company, you can get a feel for that company and just a snap judgment. Uh, in our careers, if we're evaluating a job opportunity, I know when I was coming to Chicago, I had two opportunities that I was, I was looking at. And one was in finance and one was in technology. And for whatever reason, the technology one was just, it felt right and I couldn't really describe it. And I was worried that because the company's logo was green, which is my favorite color, that that was, <laughs> that was swaying my decision. I don't think it was. I'm sure it had, probably had a little bit to do with it and I'm okay with that. But anyway, when, even when we're walking around our cities, the thin slice is the process of just taking a small piece of any situation or encounter and extrapolating a summary of the whole. We often think it's best to do extensive research and grow, go crazy with analysis and testimonies, especially in the business world. And especially in a world that is rich with so much data that we have no idea what to do with it. Companies are hell-bent on collecting data, and data is extremely insightful, but if you don't know what to do with it, if you don't know how to understand the analytics, if you don't know how to deliver those to your team or to your clients, then you're not, there's, there's really, it's making it more difficult for you to grow a business or, or do your job. And research actually shows that while it's always good to do your diligence, our data and information-rich society tends to live in a state of analysis paralysis. I've, I've seen that firsthand, I mean, even, even in, in the professional world, but also just personally. When I'm thinking things through too much, when I am too rational about my approach, that I tend to freeze, and I, now I don't know what to do, and now, I'm, now I've just laid out all of the things that are, are polluting my ability to make a, an informed decision. And this has been on my mind a lot because what I'm doing now, it's more important than ever for me to trust my gut, and yet I feel like it's more difficult than ever to. The decisions aren't only impacting myself, but they're impacting others and an and entity. And I continue, and it's funny because I continue to read about the importance of following your instincts and whether you're a, a writer, an entrepreneur, an artist, it's so easy to see what everyone else is doing and, and lose sight of our uniqueness. And this actually led to, uh, you know, the topic of authenticity and uniqueness. Uh, another discoer mentioned something called the true north leadership, leadership theory. I, I pulled, I, I looked it up. I didn't know anything about it. But, you know, he said, we each have our own unique true norths, which is aligned by our authentic identities and found by following our gut instincts. 
So after that statement by him, I, I did some digging. And it turns out that the True North, True North, bleh, I don't know why I can't say that, True North Leadership Theory, the TNLT, I like that better. I'm going to just say the TNLT, uh, was, was founded or conjured up by a man named Bill George, who is a Harvard Business School professor and former Medtronic CEO. For those of you who don't know, Medtronic is a multi-billion dollar medical device company. And he's been described as an antithetical leader during the largest scandals with Enron and other companies faced with the rise of information, te- uh, information technology forcing transparency and accountability. And if you think back, I, you know, I personally was a little younger, uh, didn't, didn't fully appreciate the, the extent of, of this movement, uh, especially not from a, a technolo- technological standpoint. Uh, but the beauty of our society, our information and, and technologically rich society, is that we've, we've deconstructed a lot of the hierarchical barriers between business leaders and shareholders and investors and employees and and uh, and and the end users. So he has some very strong opinions in what he calls the leadership crisis uh, in America. Across business, politics, government, religion, and education, and even nonprofits, confidence in our leaders is at an all-time low, especially with business and politics. And if you if you step back. Uh, you can just feel that. And, and this is, I've actually been personally doing this a lot more, is acknowledging the, the simple beauty in, in logic or in just, observe, in maybe observation is a better, a better term. Look at our business world and look at the companies you, you use when you log on to Amazon.com, when you're using A-L-E-X-A. Totally knows what I'm saying right now, but um, <clears throat> you know, think about the, the the businesses you use, even even restaurants, bars, and then our our political situation. I think it, there's not much that needs to be said there, but our confidence is at an all time low because, and we've felt this for a while, where we feel very disconnected to the the, the decision makers. We're not really confident or trusting in their incentives. Why are you incentivized to grow your business as much every quarter? Because I'm the customer. You should be incentivized to please me and, and make me happy. So, you know, we've, we're shifting away from quarterly focus, quarterly profit focus, which I'm very happy about. Because when you have objectives like that set in place and you're a manager, you're a VP, you're a principal, whatever you are, if you're in a position where you are the topic or you are the, the lead on X divisions, you know, an X division, and you are the one who is answering to the COO or the CFO on why your quarterly performance wasn't as strong this quarter of last, you might perform in a different way to make sure that those meetings always go well, which is good temporarily, but not great in the long run. Again, short-term objectives, compromising long-term value. Uh, that's a Rob Shakich. I, Shakich? I never had to know how to pronounce his name. The CEO of Panera. 
Anyway, so the leadership, <laughs> the leadership crisis in America. Bill George, uh, you know, this is from the True North Leadership Theory. 22% of Americans trust our business leaders and even fewer trust our political leaders, as you might expect. Think about that. 22%. Less than a fourth of our entire country trusts the people who are running the organizations that have our data, that pretty much run our lives. I mean, look at a company like Uber. Uber is a great example. They are extremely ingrained with our lives. They know they know where we live. They know where we work. They know where we frequently go. They have data on our, our usage of the app. You know, most people have location data enabled, and that doesn't just stop when you're using the app. That continues onward when you're not using it. So we're trusting these multi-billion-dollar organizations who are the leadership are having sexual misconduct, uh, you know, allegations and and. You know, I try not to get too involved with that stuff that I just, I can't change. You know, I can alter my use of, of a product. But it is crazy to think that less than a quarter of Americans trust our businesses and even fewer trust our political leaders. So basically the two parties deciding the fate of our country. And Bill believes that capitalism is built but can also be destroyed through trust, not only in our leaders, but in the missions they serve through their corporations and institutions. And when the trust of those leaders and institutions erode, so too does the system. And that's a very, very powerful, somewhat scary, but also somewhat inspiring statement. To ensure the vitality and longevity of the capitalistic system that got us to where we are today, we simply need authentic leaders. Man, I actually, uh, Chip Connolly, who is, he was the head hospitality advisor to Airbnb, one of the most successful um, hoteliers in, in the, uh, it's another word I always don't know how to say, hoteliers, hoteliers. Uh, he's one of the most successful hoteliers. Actually, I'm going to look it up. Maybe we can all learn. Hoteliers. All right. Here we go. Hotelier. Ooh, hotelier. All right, hotelier. So Chip Connolly is one of the uh, most successful hoteliers in our modern day and joined Airbnb as their key advisor, hospitality advisor, to create a, uh, a really pleasant hospitality experience. But he had a post the other day on LinkedIn, and uh, he said, if you had a book, if you could write any book, what would the topic be? And uh, maybe, I don't know, I think there's been a lot of things building, but I, I just responded to it because I've, I've talked to him a few times. And, and I said, uh, I would write it on being authentic. And I've, I've quoted this before, but Emerson said, to be authentic in a world that is ch- pushing you to be everything but is the greatest accomplishment. And if you know me, you know my quotes are about 90% right, so I probably missed some words in there. But you get the gist. Becoming an authentic leader, an authentic individual, means to be true to what you believe in, even in the business world without sacrificing ethics and values. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the marriage between those two is, is the you know, authenticity. <laughs> if you're a shitty person, you're authentic. Being authentic isn't great. You, 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 know, you, still, you still want to be authentic, but also I'm assuming that those listening aren't shitty people that have uh, 
relatively strong ethics and values and that authenticity is only going to bring those out and into our world and, and, and for, for a, a better outcome. But beyond that, it means being yourself rather than trying to emulate one or many individuals. This is what builds trust, not trying to be like someone you are not. Learning is great. You know, it's obviously encouraged, but leadership requires, and leadership, you know, if you think of leadership, I think most people assume you mean business, but you are a leader as an employee. You can be a leader walking down the street. For example, someone throws down trash, I pick it up. I can be a leader for just those walking on the street. Someone doesn't have their bus fare, you pay for it for them. You can lead by example and by showing that, hey, this is how you act. You can inspire, you know, really, if you think of leadership, it's, it's inspiring change. It's, it's moving a force in, a, in one direction. And, and through that objective, you, the means of which you do that is, is to inspire action and change. Leadership requires this authentic service to your organization and your shareholders, to your friends, to your family. And, and Bill defines the new phase of era, phase of era of leaders as, quote, authentic leaders who bring people together around a shared mission and values and empower them to lead in order to serve their customers while creating value for all of the stakeholders. That much better summarizes what I was getting at, but you know the key there is bringing people together around a shared mission and values and empowering them to lead so that you can collectively serve. So the question is, how do you become an authentic leader? And Bill suggests that one must know their true north, hence the true north leadership theory. TNLT. But this true north represents who you are at your deepest level, based on your values, your passions, your, your motivations, your sources of satisfaction in your life, and how you grew up, and, and what you've, who and what you've surrounded yourself with. This true north is your uniqueness. And, and personally, it's been a fun challenge for me to find my true north. And I'm, I'm narrowing in on it every day. Every conversation in the professional world, in my personal life, I am very in support of this. And the beauty of the disco is that I had no idea. I knew who Medtronic was. I know their company. I didn't know who Bill George was. I didn't know anything about the True North Leadership Theory. But this now will be something I think about as I, as I continue to find my True North, as I lead others and, and try to serve and you might be asking, okay, well, how does this relate to our discussion of, of, of instincts and, and, you know, our guts and, and following those? Our guts. <laughs> okay, so how does this relate to it? Well, to discover and honor your true north, it takes years of commitment and learning. It takes years of commitment to the desire to find this, to to actively shed anything that is pulling, you know, it's like, I like to think of other people's opinions, what other people are doing, what you see on social media, uh, some advice, you know, all advice, but especially shitty advice, and societal norms. 
that's like taking a compass and you're trying to find your true north, but then someone just puts a magnet next to it and, and fucks up the the little dial on the compass. There's got to be a name for that too. So it takes years of commitment of of pushing away those magnets and making sure that nothing is inhibiting your ability to find your true north. And it also takes learning. It takes learning about yourself. It takes external uh, information that you're drawing in. So books and podcasts and articles and in conversations and, and seminars to learn what your true north is. Because, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm getting closer to it personally. And, and that's, that's exciting for me. But three, four years ago, I was facing south with the true north behind me. So I had to learn a lot. I had to humbly step down from the podium of thinking I knew what I wanted to do and who I was and step down to stair number one. And now every day I aim to climb one stair higher, one stair higher until I can get to this this true north. Because after discovering it, you will be tested in the real world to stay true to that. There will be external forces more magnets coming in hot, new information and studies that are released, board of directors, investors, partners, customers, employees, advisors, mentors, friends. Again, what you see on the internet and in social media, external forces will pressure you to respond to their needs and entice you with rewards for doing so. And they might not directly entice you, but they might, uh, you know, in the example of investors, they're going to pressure you to their true north, many investors' true north is a fine, positive financial outcome. But if you as a leader know that, all right, first we need to do focus on this and the positive outcome financially will be a, a result of that, then that's your true north and you need to recognize that theirs is not aligned with yours. And with friends, uh, this has been a hot topic for me personally, um, just realizing that not all of my friends will have the same desires and uh, you know their true norths are facing my east and I need to not let that that uh, that force pull me east I need to stay again true to my north and all these pressures no matter what form they take they will cause you to diverge from your true north and when you get too off course this is when your instincts come in your internal compass will let you know that and will give you a feeling that you might not be able to articulate, you might not be able to describe, but you know it's there. And it is up to you and only you to reorient yourself. Pretty powerful stuff. I, it, you know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, even the case, there's times when I read like crazy and there's times I, I you know, go a week or two or without reading at all. And it's things like this that I come across where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful how much or how significantly one theory can change your life or change the way you go about your day. And the concept of our true norths reminds me of another quote I wrote down from the disco. And the quote was, we know what we gain, but we don't know how much there is to lose. Think about that for a second. We know what we gain but we don't know how much there is to lose. When we are faced with decisions, whether that is in our day-to-day lives or as leaders of companies, the gain from our decisions is, is usually known from the onset, right? You, 
if you make the decision to take a new job because there's a salary bump and there's you know they've got ping pong tables in their office and it's an open layout well you know that there's a salary increase and you're probably going to have a a better day-to-day work life because you can get up and play ping pong or whatever but what we don't know is what is lost from leaving our current company our team or what would happen if we stayed there maybe the company gets acquired and you get a fifty thousand dollar pay increase or or maybe your boss leaves and you rise you know you you fill that position or whatever it is but we usually know what we're going to gain from a decision, but we rarely know. It's, it's impossible to know what, we'll, um, what we could potentially lose. If we decide to cut 100 jobs, we know that we save money. That is a fact. We are not paying 100 salaries. But we have no idea how this will impact our existing teams, our company morale, our turnover rates, our, our customer perception, our shareholders' opinions of what we're doing. And with this in mind, it seems to me as though our decisions should always be aligned with our, our instincts. It, it's almost empowering, right? It's almost a way to, to lean on our instincts and say, well, if I, if I don't know what the end result will, will ever be, well, then at least there are some tools at my disposal that can help me make a decision because those, those gains that you receive are also the magnets. The salary increase is a magnet. It's the one that's fucking up your compass. And it's not always, it's, the magnets aren't always bad, but it is a potential, you know, it is a potential hindrance to you following your true north. And it's up to you to figure out if that magnet is pulling you in a way that's closer to your true north or further away. And I believe that tool is our instincts that we can tap into. And it's kind of like we have a, a very old and wise personal advisor within us who is, who is just waiting to provide guidance if we are willing to listen. It's like a, you know, think of your instincts as this little, this little guru in your, in your stomach who's, who's just helping you feel out the path. And that guru knows. That guru knows your past, your future, your, your spirit, your being. This guru knows, but this guru doesn't speak. It only feels, and those feelings vibrate throughout your body. And that guru has, is only unique to you. It has your best interests in mind because it knows you. It knows your heart, it knows your soul, it knows your past, it knows your future. And it's trying to say, I know I'm just a little guru sitting in your stomach, but if you, if you stay close to me, I will never steer you wrong. And sometimes that guru is screaming. You know, it's like sending a bunch of things throughout your body. Sometimes it makes you sweat. Sometimes it makes you shake. But, you know, for example, if you're, if you're walking, well, there's, there's one uh, example. I think I mentioned this in the, in the disco was I was taking a walk this past summer. I live close to the lake, so I was walking near the lake, and it was at night. And it was really, really dark. But with the moon out, it's, you know, sometimes the moon's, or a lot of times the moon is out and it lights up the whole lake. And so I take night walks, but the moon was not out. It was like a little sliver. It was a waning crescent. 
But the moon was nowhere in sight, and it was just extremely dark. And as I got closer and closer to the lake for a, for a you know, nighttime walk, my body was just saying, nope, <laughs> nope, we're not going out there. Our instincts are, we fear the dark. We fear what we can't see. Uh, those are probably, or definitely survival instincts that we've had for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But mine were just screaming at me. So that little guru was saying, nope, you are not going over there. And if you do, then I'm sitting this one out. So I didn't. I just said, eh, I'll walk around uh, along the sidewalk tonight. And personally, I would much rather take accountability for my decisions or bl- blame it on my little guru rather than being able to blame someone else or some other people for any results, be those negative or positive. And if you think about it, if someone gives you advice and feedback, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Use it as another data point to help your decision. But I would much rather have that be a just a data point than the actual decision maker. Because then if it turns out bad, you're going to look at them and be like, what the hell? They're going to be like, whoa, I was just giving you advice. I was, <laughs> I was drunk when I said that. <laughs> you know, you could, who, who knows what the situation could be? But it's better to, to fall back on yourself and take accountability because no one wants to be held accountable for the actions you take. And, and you, that's not a very, uh, it's not a feeling of strength if you feel like your life is in the hands of someone else. And even from a positive standpoint, if you have success because you followed your gut on something, you want to say, that was because of me, because I knew that's what I need to do. Not because someone said, here, you should do this, or you know, join me on this team, whatever. So be it negative or positive, I think it's always best to, to listen to this little guru and uh, or, or just your gut instincts and, and fall back on your true north. And if you don't know where your true north is right now, then I think that it's up to you to find that. Because if you never find your true north or know where it is and never honor that, then what the hell is the point of life? Why go east with a bunch of other people if you're trying to go, if your body, your mind, your soul wants to go north? And that north really is going to lead you to fulfillment and prosperity. The second book wreck of the disco was a classic, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And the person recommending this book referenced the quote, you will never be able to escape from your heart, so it is better to listen to what it has to say. And this kind of touches on the little guru. You know, you're never going to be able to, to get her out of your gut or your stomach, so it's best to just listen especially if you know your heart, your gut, your little guru, if it's only there for you, if it's only uniquely yours. Your heart isn't telling your brother or your friend what to do. They can't feel that. They can only feel theirs. And this also gets back to what I was saying in the beginning of the episode. We've all heard the cliche of of listening to your heart, and yet our emotions, our thoughts, and the opinions and the actions of our broader society all impact our ability to listen to our heart and our inner voice. 
whether you want to call it your gut or your heart or your little guru or an angel sitting on your shoulder. So what's the point of listening to our hearts? And rather than me trying to answer that, because I'm still figuring it out, I'll read another quote from The Alchemist. Quote, Why do we listen to our hearts? The boy asked. Because wherever your heart is, that is where you will find your treasure. And it explicitly states your treasure, not the treasure. Because my, Chris Trinetti's treasure, is different than my brother's treasure and my girlfriend's treasure and my mother's treasure. Though they might be intertwined in some way, our hearts lead us to our own treasure. And some people might be thinking this is kind of getting a little foo-foo, like listen to your heart and love and all of that. But it's just the verbiage, right? The, you, could, you could replace your heart with, why do we listen to our gut, the boy asked. Because wherever your gut is or whatever your gut is saying, that's where you'll find your treasure. Why do we listen to our instincts? Why do we listen to the guru? Our heart is, this is just a phrase to describe that inner voice, that uniqueness, that, that true north within us, our authentic selves. And we can use these, we can take the liberty to use heart and gut interchangeably. These are just metaphorical for the voices buried deep within us that speak to us on the things that our brains simply cannot articulate or even begin to comprehend. Our heart and our gut are just two types of compasses helping to point us in the right direction, which, as the book suggests, is our treasure. No matter what that treasure is, whether that's love, millions of dollars, uh, being an artist, being whatever you want to be, or whatever your treasure is, and we don't really know that yet. I think that's, and, and some people do, I have hints of what my treasure is, but I think that's something only we can discover and we'll know it when we feel it. The alchemist is all about realizing your destiny and your purpose, which is a perfect segue into episode five and part two of our instincts and purpose special episodes. Hope you enjoyed and I hope you listen to part two because purpose this disco was, it was a very interesting disco. Got a little heated in some parts, uh, and this was our first disco that did get heated, but it was beautiful. Thanks again for listening, and I uh, look forward to talking to myself and you listening soon.